0: Welcome to PQ Doc on Call, a podcast dedicated to current and aspiring intensivists. I'm Pradeep Kamath coming to you from Children's Healthcare of Atlanta, Emory University School of Medicine. Today, we are joined by two wonderful clinical pharmacists, Whitney Moore and Stephanie Yeseshko. Whitney is a clinical pharmacist uh, at Children's Healthcare of Atlanta. She's on Twitter at Moore, M-O-O-R-E, P-H-I-N-R-X. Stephanie is a pediatric lung transplant clinical pharmacy specialist at Cincinnati Children's Hospital Medical Center.
1: We are so excited to have you both on on Call. My name is Rahul Demania and I'm a pediatric intensivist at Cleveland Clinic Children's Hospital. I want to welcome everybody to on Call, where we focus on all things med ed in the PICU. Our podcast focuses on interesting PICU cases and management in the acute care pediatric setting. So let's go ahead and get into our episode.
0: Welcome to our episode of an 18-year-old immunocompromised patient with headache and sore throat. Here is the case presented by Rahul. An
1: 18-year-old female with past medical history significant for fibril lamellar carcinoma of the liver presents to the emergency department with headache and sore throat. She is febrile to 38.3 degrees centigrade, tachycardic to and has a white blood cell count of 27,000 on her CBC. She is markedly hypotensive, with the blood pressure on arrival of 99 over 65. Cultures were drawn, patient was given a dose of vancomycin and meropenem, and she was transported to the PICU for further workup and management. Due to her progressive hemodynamic instability, increased inflammatory markers, and marked immunocompromised state, the team is considering broadening her
0: antimicrobial coverage. To summarize key elements from this case, we have an 18-year-old female who has carcinoma of the liver, a presentation of headache, sore throat, and hemodynamic instability with concern for sepsis due to inflammatory markers, a current regimen of just antibacterials, which brings up the consideration of adding antifungal coverage in a current state. Our episode today will be covering antifungals in the PICU.
1: We will review general mycology, understand different classes of antifungals, and finally, highlight practical clinical pearls that you can use in the acute care setting.
0: As mentioned, this patient has risk factors for immunocompromised state due to our underlying liver condition. As we dive deeper into antifungals, Whitney, can you please give us an overview of common fungal pathogens in the PICU?
2: Sure. So before we discuss the major drugs, it's important that we take some time to briefly review the most common fungi we encounter clinically, since it's hard to choose the right agent when you don't know exactly what you're treating. Clinically, Canada is probably the most common fungal pathogen encountered, especially in warm, moist environments. It is important to determine what type of species is growing. The three major species known to cause infection are Canada albicans, glabrata, and crusae. But it's important to differentiate these species when identified, since they have different resistance patterns. Cryptococcus is another type of fungus that is known to cause meningitis or fungemia, especially in immune-compromised or cirrhotic patients. Both Canada and Cryptococcus are classified as yeast-on-gram stain. Treating cryptococcus will require use of an agent that has good penetration to the CNS. Endemic fungi known as coccidia, histoplasma, and blastomyces are known to cause disseminated infections in immune-compromised hosts. However, each fungi is associated with a different geographic region in the United States. With that being said, it is also very important to consider your patient's exposures and recent travel history. And finally, There are two major molds that have the potential to be pathogenic. The first is aspergillus, which is identified as hyphae on gram stain, is well known to cause invasive pulmonary infections in the immune compromised, specifically those who are neutropenic and or those who have received a lung transplant. Cystic fibrosis patients are also well known host to aspergillus. The next mold is mucor. Mucor has the propensity to cause an aggressive infection that necessitates surgical debridement. While rare, you can see this pathogen affects patients who are diabetic, neutropenic, on chronic steroids, or other immunosuppressants, or who have just sustained a trauma.
1: So now that we have a background on fungal pathogens and who they most commonly affect, let's now dive deep into the medications we have available to treat them. But first, let's circle back to our case.
3: So while cultures remained negative for bacteria, patients' headache and sore throat worsened, congestion developed, and ENT was consulted to evaluate nasal cavities, which appeared concerning for necrosis. Patient was then taken to the OR for investigation and debridement, and fungal cultures were taken. After close consult with ID, the recommendation was made to empirically treat with liposomal amphotericin B at 10 milligrams per kilo IV once daily due to CNS concern and immunocompromised host status.
0: As mentioned in the case, the patient was started on amphotericin B. Let's take a step back and review some key classes of antifungal medications commonly used in the ICU. So as a big picture, we're going to be covering three major classes: polyenes,
1: azoles, and echinocandins. Whitney, do you mind highlighting our first class, the polyenes?
2: Of course. So the first class of antifungal agents that we will discuss are the polyenes. Within this class, there are two agents that we encounter clinically, Amphotericin B and Nystatin. These two agents bind to ergosterol in the fungal cell membrane to disrupt fungal cell permeability and cause rapid cell death. For the purposes of this podcast, we will focus our attention on Amphotericin B, as this agent is a broad-spectrum IV antifungal agent used clinically to treat most all fungal infections, including Cryptococcus, Aspergillus, Fusarium, and Mucor. However, this medication is known for its many toxicities, including electrolyte derangements, headaches, fevers, and renal impairment. There is a liposomal formulation of this medication in which most hospitals have on formulary exclusively to help mitigate some of these adverse effects, but this formulation is also known to cause them to a lesser extent, and electrolytes should be closely monitored and aggressively replaced during therapy. The use of concomitant nephrotoxic medications should be minimized as much as possible, especially with Ampatericin B. So in our patient case, since blood cultures remain no growth to date, vancomycin as well as meropenem were discontinued.
3: Returning to our case, histopathology and debridement ended up showing evidence for mucormycosis susceptible to posaconazole and isobuconazole. Let's talk a little bit now about the azole class. The azoles are our second group of antifungals. And this class of antifungals works by preventing the formation of ergosterol. And there are five common azoles that every clinician should be familiar with. And taking into consideration our case, we will start by discussing posaconazole and isobuconazole. Posaconazole is a broad-spectrum azole that covers all of your candida, as well as both aspergillus and mucor. It is available both IV and orally in the forms of tablets and a suspension. The oral formulations are not interchangeable since the oral suspension does have erratic pharmacokinetics, given that it is highly lipophilic and difficult to absorb. Therefore, it is recommended to use the tablets when able, especially given their convenience of once daily dosing. Otherwise, the drug does require therapeutic drug monitoring to ensure that the patient is achieving adequate levels. The target trough concentration for adequate posaconazole prophylaxis is greater than 700 nanograms per milliliter and greater than 1250 nanograms per milliliter for treatment, drawn approximately five to seven days following medication initiation. Like most all other drugs in this class, posaconazole is a strong inhibitor of CYP3A4 and P-glycoprotein inhibitor as well. Therefore, many drug interactions do exist. These types of azoles are also known to prolong the QTC and cause hepatotoxicity.
1: I definitely think it's important to highlight here that children in the PICU may frequently be on concurrent medications, which can also prolong the QT interval. And so having a close collaboration with your clinical pharmacy team and a daily discussion of the medications the patient may be on is essential in optimizing electrocardiographic monitoring
0: for these patients. So now that we have talked about posaconazole, let's contrast this with isavuconazole. Whitney, do you mind highlighting some similarities and differences between these two azoles?
2: Sure. So isovuconazole is the newest azole and is also available in an IV and oral formulation. Coverage is pretty similar to posaconazole. However, the additional benefits of this agent are that it is it does not require therapeutic drug monitoring, does not have QTC prolonging effects. And it doesn't have as many significant drug interactions when compared to other azoles, given that it's a moderate CYP3A4 inhibitor versus a strong one. The major side effects to be mindful of include hypersensitivity and skin reactions, hypokalemia, hepatotoxicity, peripheral edema, and cough.
3: So to summarize, given that our patient here is an oncology patient with chemotherapy and antiemetics on board... Isobuconazole is the drug of choice for her due to the lack of QTC prolonging and minimal drug interactions. Therefore, we can narrow her from the liposomal amphotericin B to where We would first load her with 372 milligrams IV every eight hours times six doses, and then continue her on a maintenance dose of 372 milligrams IV or PO when able for as long as she is receiving chemotherapy and is immunosuppressed.
1: Okay, so far we have covered posaconazole, isovuconazole,
3: and now
1: let's go ahead and close out this class by highlighting a very commonly employed agent, voriconazole. We'll also be talking about itraconazole and fluconazole.
3: So while our patient was growing mucor that was susceptible to both posaconazole and isovuconazole, another agent to highlight here is voriconazole. So while it does not cover mucor, it is the drug of choice in the treatment of aspergillus and has good fusarium coverage as well. It is also available in both IV and PO formulations, which can be converted one-to-one. However, it does have the most toxicities compared to any of the other azoles, which can include hallucinations, visual disturbances, and phototoxicity. Therefore, therapeutic drug monitoring is essential with a gold trough level of about two to six micrograms per
2: milliliter. Absolutely, Stephanie. I also want to highlight itraconazole. This is the azole most commonly used to treat histoplasma and blastomyces. It can also be used as a prophylactic agent for aspergillus. It is only available orally as a solution in capsule, but they are not interchangeable. The capsules must be taken on an acidic stomach and with a full meal while the solution needs to be administered in a fasting state. This drug is also monitored with a serum trough concentration goal level of greater than 0.5 micrograms per ml. It is important to keep in mind, however, that this agent has two black box warnings. The first is that it may cause negative inotropic properties, which may lead to heart failure. And the other is that it has the potential to lead to tersodes. Therefore, it should not be used in patients with a history of heart failure and or ventricular dysfunction. And finally, the last azole and most narrow azole we're going to discuss is fluconazole. Fluconazole is a drug of choice for candida albicans, cryptococcus, and coccidium. This drug is available both IV and orally with a one-to-one conversion and distributes everywhere in the body, including the CNS.
0: Our final discussion will be on echinocandins. Stephanie, how do these agents work?
3: Yeah, so these agents work mechanistically by inhibiting 1,3-beta-D-glucan synthase, which is also involved in the synthesis of the fungal cell wall. There are three agents in this class, caspofungin, micafungin, and anidulafungin. All three are available IV only, have similar spectrum of activity, which is essentially all Canada as well as aspergillus, and are dosed once daily. The great thing about these agents is that there are very few drug interactions and they do not require therapeutic drug monitoring.
1: To summarize our discussion today, we spoke about major classes of antifungals, polyenes, azoles, and echinocandins. While each of them have their own specific coverage, it is important to also monitor for side effects and toxicities. Working closely with your clinical pharmacist and infectious disease physicians is a high fidelity strategy to optimize therapeutic treatment. Also, in the spirit of antimicrobials, I would like to add that if you have not checked out our prior episode, episode number 23, entitled "Pick You Bugs and Drugs, I would highly recommend you listening to this episode. This episode covers the rational use of antibiotics in the PICU and it'll be a great compliment to today's episode.
0: Thank you guys. And I appreciate Whitney and Stephanie joining Rahul and I today for this excellent podcast on PICU Doc on call. And this concludes our episode on approach to antifungals in the PICU. We hope you found value in a short case-based podcast. We welcome you to share your feedback, subscribe, and place a review on our podcast please visit our website, pqdoconcall.org, which showcases our episodes as well as our Doc on Call management cards. PQ Doc on Call is hosted by me, Pradeep Kamath, and my co-host, Dr. Rahul Dimenya. A special thank you again to Whitney Moore and Stephanie Esheshko for joining us today and sharing their expertise. Stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you.